Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray. I'm eating chocolate pretzels. <laughs> You're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? To which the answer to that question is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I discuss, rewatch, rehash, re all the things every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after their original air dates. So, on December 15th, 1998, amends the season three episode the very special christmas episode of buffy aired um we're just gonna go ahead and let you guys know this is just gonna be a rant look at the time signature on how long this podcast episode is it is a rant that is approximately that long i really don't like this episode this episode is written and directed by joss whedon it's really a beat you over the head with morality kind of episode. And I'm okay. I'm completely okay with themes of morality. Obviously, if Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of your favorite shows, themes of morality is something you can handle in your fiction because it, the show often beats you over the head with morality. You know, like everything is about good and evil. Where do you fall? You know, it's, this show places moral judgments on pretty much every act. And this episode, I mean, even though we're used to that in this show, the show is about morality a lot of the time. This episode takes it so far over the top, I can't even take it. And if we're going to talk about morality and being good, then the conclusions... What they, what this episode wants you to think and the conclusions that are made by this episode are outside of morality. It's not the right moral choice to keep Angel in the world. Um, although on the surface, okay, so this episode, like I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of ranting about it before I've even really talked about it. So let me just take a breath, take a drink of coffee. I don't want it to get cold <laughs> before because that's what happens I like pour I usually pour like a full cup of coffee right before I start podcasting and then it's cold like so quickly <laughs> I should probably start putting it in a thermos so that it's warm the whole time that I'm talking to you guys okay so this episode obviously if you're listening to this you've probably seen it before but this is the one where Buffy has bad bangs and Angel is extra, extra whiny and Buffy saves his life. There's a parallel in this episode that I never saw. Um, or like, there's something in this episode that I never thought about before watching it this time. And it is that I feel like Joss Whedon wants you to think that this is not only is Angel worthy of a redemption arc and making amends, and that's pretty much his entire character. His entire character premise is that he is on a path of redemption. He has done really, really, really terrible things, and he is working towards a net good. He's basically, he's trying to earn his way into heaven which this show has a lot of religious symbolism and undertones. 
So like, even though he is a vampire that's really just trying to earn, you find out in when he goes to his own series that there's this thing called the Shanshu prophecy. And it's basically stating that there will be an ensouled vampire that eventually makes amends for his past wrongs. I don't his or her, I, it, it may actually be gendered for his past wrongs and eventually becomes human again because he earns it. So Angel is, at this point, he doesn't know about this prophecy. You don't find out about that until like season one of Angel, which is next year, which, hey, that's a little side note. What do you guys think? Because the Angel show will premiere next year. Do you want me to do the same thing with Angel that I've been doing with Buffy? I mean, it'll be, it won't really be twice as much work because I'll probably just do like a little segment of talking about the Angel episodes. So it might make my podcast episodes a little bit longer, but I'm not going to go into the kind of depth that I go into the show of Buffy because the show of Angel, it's something that I, I own the whole series. There are aspects of it that I really like, but overall, I'm not super into Angel, so I don't think my thoughts on Angel are going to be quite as much. So it would just basically be an extra segment on the podcast episode. I'd be like, and this week on Angel, and then on the weeks that like there was an Angel episode and not a Buffy episode, of course, I would talk about just Angel. I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you want me to cover Angel 20 years after each of those. I mean, that means that this podcast will go, I mean, this podcast will probably turn into something else after I'm done talking about Buffy in another, God, what will it be? Four years? Four years I'll be done talking about Buffy. I'll probably turn it into something else. I probably won't stop making a podcast, but, um, we'll get to go a year longer if we talk about Angel because season five, the final season of Angel, went a year after the final season of Buffy. Um, so let me know. Uh, Radio at gmail is where you can email me your opinions on whether or not you want me to cover Angel um, 20 years after each episode. Or you can just send me an Instagram message under Buffy on Instagram. So anyway, basically, from now on, from this episode on, Angel's going to be constantly feeding coins into the redemption meter. And later he's going to find out that he could possibly earn becoming a human again, you know? And that is his ultimate goal is to become human again. And um, so later he's feeding coins into the redemption meter for like actually motivated by knowing that he could possibly someday become human. If he is, if he's a good enough boy, he could become human again. So on the surface, let's just go ahead and say, since I'm going to be ranting pretty much this entire episode about how I don't think Angel deserves based on what unfolds in this episode in particular, I don't think he deserves a redemption arc. The way that he acts in this episode is absolutely atrocious, and we'll talk about that. But I want to go ahead and say before we start that if this story had been told 
way better than it was. On the surface, knowing what we know up until this moment, like if we if we take the whole of Angel's history, what we know of him so far before this episode starts, I do think he is worthy of a redemption arc. That is one of the only things I really like about Angel's character is that he wants to make up for the things that he has done wrong. He feels badly and he knows that it's going to take possibly several lifetimes to make up for what he's done. And I like a redemption arc. I'm fine with him making amends, but the way that he acts in this episode, so on the surface, if this story had been told in a better way, I would have totally been on board with with him making amends. I never would have been on board with he and Buffy getting back together because on the surface, let's just be real about this. What we're seeing here is a metaphor for an abusive boyfriend and the girl going back to him. Basically what happens in this episode is that in the very end of the last episode, Buffy walked away from Angel. She said, or no, not the last episode, the one before that. The last episode was Wish. She basically broke up with him. She said, I have to walk away from you. This is not, there's no future. I can't have what I want from you. She literally said, I cannot have what I want from you. And Angel, like an immature baby, he is 242 years old. You'd think he would be slightly more emotionally mature than he is, but Oz has more emotional maturity in his pinky toe then Angel has had over 242 years of existence plus a thousand years of hell torment or whatever the fuck. Oh my god. So much ranting is going to happen in this episode, you guys. So essentially what happens in this episode is... So, okay. In that episode when Buffy left, Angel tried to walk away from him. She, she said, I cannot have what I want from you. I have no future with you. Emotional maturity. She's speaking words of truth here. And he says, I don't accept that. And she says, well, you're gonna have to. And then she walks away from him, which is great. And I wish that that's how that relationship had ended. That's how that relationship needed to end and it needed to stay dead. Buffy and Angel is not okay. It's not okay to ship Buffy and Angel. Okay? She's a vampire. He's a, <laughs> he's a vampire and she's a slayer. Um, if he has, I mean, even if, okay, say he's an unsold vampire and they really love each other and they decide to be in a relationship. Okay, fine. As long as she is fine with not ever having kids and he's, and they're okay with the fact that she's going to live out a full lifetime and die and he's still going to be around at the end of that. Like, that'd be one thing if they consented to that. But there's the extra element that Buffy is not an asexual creature. At all. She's very much the opposite. On the sexuality spectrum, you know? And she's also a monogamous person. So... She, you know, that's part of when she said, I can't have what I want from you. They can't, he cannot experience a moment of true happiness in her presence, which I have a lot to say about that in this episode as well. So it would be a terrible life. They should not be together. Okay. I keep trying to like, I'm trying to like sum this episode up simply. And then I keep going off on little tangents. So essentially what happens in this episode is 
she has left him and told him she can't have what she wants from him and they'll never have a future together so she's leaving him he says i don't accept that then he proceeds to he basically decides that he's going to kill himself if she doesn't get back with him i mean that's not explicitly stated but that's basically what he does so this is essentially a metaphor for if we're talking about the metaphors of buffy the vampire slayer which of course we always are this is the abusive boyfriend that when you try to leave him he threatens to kill himself so you'll come back to him i have literally experienced this in real life let's go on some some memories from mixtress's life mixtress's <laughs> mixtress's stressful life no <laughs> um okay so what had happened was from the ages of 15 to almost 21 i dated this guy who was he was my first serious relationship um lost my virginity i'm using quote fingers there because like you know in general <laughs> I think the importance in our society placed on being a virgin versus not a virgin is just basically like either you've had sexual experiences or you haven't. You are not suddenly something else. You're not suddenly a non-virgin. You know what I'm saying? It's just like the concept of virginity is ridiculous. So I had my first sexual experiences with this guy. He was my first serious relationship. He was two and a half years older than me, which is a lot when you're talking about a 15 year old versus a 17 year old. That's a big leap in that time period of your life. You know what I'm saying? He was a senior in high school when I was a freshman, I think, or was he a junior when I was a freshman? I think he was a senior. I think he graduated like within the first year or two that we were together anyway. Anyway, whatever. He was very mostly just emotionally abusive but that's a lot you know he was very much a gaslighting person he was always he was always super pissed off at me about some perceived slight and we'd have these huge fights all the time and he was a terrible person when we finally broke up via icq messenger <laughs> icq that sounds weird but i think that's what it was i it wasn't i was never on aol but anyway, when we, we, I was 20, we broke up on, we had just kind of gotten to a point where we had sort of phased out our relationship. We weren't even hanging out much anymore. I was, I may have moved back in with my mom at that point, but there was a point in which I had moved into my own apartment. Like I had never even considered moving in with him, even though we had been together that long. And I moved into my own apartment for a while and, you know, I must have known that like being with him was a ter living with him would have been a terrible idea. So I never did it. And we just sort of phased out. Like we didn't see each other that much. And our breakup was sort of this uneventful thing. You know, it happened on a messenger on my mom's computer and it was just sort of like, yeah, don't you think maybe this is over? Yeah, I guess so. You know, it was very calm despite everything else in our relationship. The the beginnings of the breakup was very calm like that. And I think it was because he didn't take it seriously. He didn't think it was real. And I was done. You know, like, I remember my mom saying to me years before we ever broke up that, you know, you're not done until you're done. 
Like for whatever reason, I kept going back to this asshole. And then one day it was just like, nope, this is over. I am done. And I knew I wasn't going back to him. And I knew this little uneventful chat session <laughs> online was actually the end. And he, you know, rightfully, he thought we were going to get back together because any other time that we had ever like broke up or had some kind of big fight or some shit like that, we had always gotten back together almost immediately. So in the like weeks that followed, there was just a lot of drama. Like he was, he started like doing all this really dramatic shit. And a lot of it did happen over the same messenger service as well. I remember at one point he basically told me that he had taken a whole bottle of some kind of pills and he started like typing really incoherently and he was trying to make me believe that he was attempting suicide and it was like it was it was a thing where i had enough emotional security uh, emotional maturity to know that he was probably lying he wanted me to come over basically what he wanted me to do was come over to save him and then end up get back, end up getting back together with him basically but i knew enough about myself to know that there was a danger of me getting back together with him if i had gone over there so i but i also knew that i would feel bad for the rest of my life if this wasn't him crying wolf and he actually died if he had actually taken a whole bottle of pills or whatever and he was about to die, <laughs> I knew I would always feel bad about that. So I made the decision to call his bluff and I called 911 and they went over to check on him. And this whole time I did not talk to him. I don't think, I don't think I talked to him on the phone. I was just talking to him on a messenger service on ICQ Messenger. So actually I might have the internet to thank partially for this breakup because I was able to stay enough removed from him. Like chatting online is obviously less personal than talking in person. Like overall, I would not think that breaking up with someone over a chat, internet chat service is a good idea. But um, in, in this case, it was what gave me the strength to really do it. And if I had been talking to him on the phone during this fake suicide attempt, I might have been more likely to feel more sympathy for him. I might have been talked into going over to see him. Anyway, whatever. I called his bluff. I called the, the, I called 911. They went over and checked on him. All I knew was his reports of that because basically he came back to chatting with me after they had come over to check on him and I knew he was going to be mad at me for calling 911 and he was but he also told me that you know that he was still not okay and you know he was still doing the incoherent typing thing but he just basically told me that he he was so good at convincing them that he was okay that like you know he still was trying to get me to come over afterwards and at that point, I was actually smart enough for once in my life to be like, okay, you're not going to be able to convince paramedics that you're all right if you're on the verge of death and you've just taken a full bottle of pills. 
he somehow ended, I don't know if it had anything to do with me calling 911 on him, but soon after this incident, he ended up in um, some sort of psychological rehab facility for a week or two. And, you know, so it was just, the breakup was a whole thing. He was going through trauma because of our breakup and he was using that as emotional manipulation to try to get me to come back to him and he even sent his mom over like while he was in the rehab facility or he had just gotten out or something I don't know his mom came over and sat with me on my porch and talked to me for like hours and it was just like, she was just sort of telling me that he's doing so much better. He's trying so hard and I've been so good for him. And like the way that she was talking to me was very much in the vein of, we all know that you guys are going to get back together after this is all over and he's doing so much better. So obviously you guys are going to get back together at some point. Like nobody thought that I was actually going to be able to leave this douchebag. Anyway. <laughs> I, I just, this episode very much triggers me into those memories because it's the same to me. It's the same. We're watching a guy not be able, a guy that should be much more emotionally mature than a senior in high school because he's 242 years old we're seeing him like attempt suicide because he can't be with the person that he wants to be with. Sorry, I forgot to airplane mode. It's done now. Don't worry. No more interruptions. Just you and me. <laughs> so we're seeing him throw a fit and I mean, he's actually attempting to kill himself. So at least he's not faking it, but, <laughs> um, but she goes to him and she gets back together with him. By the end of the episode, they're walking down the street in the snow, holding hands. She is his savior, literally. So here's what I started to say earlier. And I got on a huge sidetrack. What I didn't ever think of before watching it this particular time was that the, there's also an implied amends storyline for Buffy here. And I assume it's intentional, like, because she will always feel bad that she killed Angel. And in this episode, she saves Angel. However, even though I think it's, you know, Buffy should get the credit for saving him because he, he wouldn't have made it without her they don't let her have the credit because they act like he's not being convinced by her talking, trying to talk him out of suicide at all. He's just basically telling her to go away because he's going to do this. He's made up his mind and nothing happens to change his mind until it fucking snows. And they're both just like, so in awe, in awe. <laughs> they're so awed by the snow that they just like, are distracted from arguing about killing them about him killing himself and then so it's like he's been blessed by the light <sighs> this episode this episode okay I haven't even started with my notes yet 
But it's like, we don't, Buffy doesn't even get the credit of saving his motherfucking stupid ass life because it snows. Like she's given some great speeches about how, you know, you're a coward. If you kill yourself now, you, you know, she's given some great speech and he's just like, whatever, I'm doing this, meh, until it snows. So she doesn't even get the credit. We'll get there. The treatment of women in this episode, that particular, when we get to that rating, it's not going to be good because it's just not. Okay. Let's start with my notes. So the episode begins (laughs) 25 minutes into the podcast. The episode begins with a flashback. Angel is chasing a guy down the street or something, or he's running. And uh, anyway, part of the treatment of women. So we see basically, we see four of Angel's past victims manifest as the first in this episode. There is this guy named Daniel that we're seeing right here in the beginning that he kills. Um, There's a servant girl that is never named. There's Jenny. And then there's um, like a father guy. So I guess on the surface, Two of these victims are men, two of these victims are women, two of these victims are named, and two of them are not named. But um, you only see the father guy for like a second. It's mostly focused on the servant girl, Daniel, and Jenny. The servant girl doesn't get a name. She's just some random chick. And so on the surface, I was going to be pissed off about the fact that she's not named. But since that other guy isn't named either, the father guy, I guess it balances out. So I'll try to move on from that anyway. But this guy, Daniel, gets a name. Even though he's just as unimportant in, you know, just another random kill in Angel's mind. Um, So basically he's being haunted through his dreams and in person by people that he's killed before. Um, First of all, I say, who cares? Angel has done really, really terrible things in his vampire life. He should be haunted by them. He should constantly be haunted by them. He should not be sitting by a fire reading existentialist novels. (laughs) Like, I am totally fine with Angel being constantly tortured by every bad thing he's ever done. He's not supposed to have even one moment of happiness or he will lose his soul again. Like, why is this creature even in existence? Angel should be dead. He should. That might be controversial. I know there are a lot of Buffy Angel shippers in the world, but I just can't with this guy, especially the way that they're telling the story in this episode. Okay, my one of my very first notes... Um, well, my very first note is flashback to Angel has always sucked. (laughs) Um, my next note is Angel has three candles lit and both of his matching nightstand lamps are on. So he's like having this nightmare flashback and then you see him wake up in his bed and he's got a candle on one of his nightstands lit. He's got two candles like behind the headboard of his bed, which seems to be like some sort of headboard shelving unit situation. So there's two lit candles behind him on the nightstand. It also looks like there's a window right behind his bed. So 
That's kind of a bad idea for a vampire, right? He has two matching nightstands with two matching lamps on each nightstand. (laughs) And his sheets are white. Like, I don't know. Just in general, I feel like a vampire such as Angel that's spending all his time brooding and being unhappy. Like, if you're really that unhappy... Like, he can't experience a moment of happiness when he's at Pottery Barn buying all the matching nightstands and bedroom sets and shit. Like, I just... I don't buy his agony. He's too stylish. He's too noir to be... I don't know. I just... I can't with this guy. Okay. My next note is Buffy Bad Bags. This is the only episode, I'm pretty sure, in which Buffy has these bangs that are just like these wispy little tiny, tiny short bangs. They look awful on her. Buffy just can't really, like, I'm really not the type of person that says that somebody can't pull off something, but Buffy, in general, can't really pull off this type of bangs because she has, like, her hairline is really low. Like when you're looking at Sarah Michelle Geller like face on, you see a lot of hair on top of her head because it comes forward. Like she kind of has like, she kind of has like a tall head, but there's a lot of hair. Like her, I don't know, her, her forehead is just too small for bangs. <laughs> and these bangs instantly make her look like somebody's mom. Like, She's only, like, maybe 20, 21 years old at this point, um, the actress, and she just, like, looks 35 instantly by having these bangs. God, they're the worst. Anyway, I I think they get rid of them almost immediately. She is wearing some pretty great dark brown lipstick, though. So the first time we see Buffy, she's running into Angel in the street. Like, she's shopping for Christmas, and he is... He just runs into her like, why is he walking around outside? I don't know. What is he doing? (laughs) He's being tormented by ghosts of Christmas past. And he's like, literally though, like it's not, even though the morality of this episode is really knocking you over the head, the, it's sort of based on a Scrooge situation kind of but that's not really hitting you over the head like you could easily not have to to view this episode in this way and in fact I didn't until I read in one of my Buffy in my Buffy episode guide where they suggested that I hadn't even thought of it until then so essentially if you want to view it in that way Angel's being haunted by his ghosts of Christmas past present and future past being, um, you know, his literal flashbacks to like Daniel and the servant girl and blah, blah, blah things, people that he killed hundreds of years ago. Present could be seen as Jenny Calendar because she is, you know, the one that he just killed, that he killed because he lost his soul again through having sex with Buffy. And then, you know, the ghost of Christmas future, the possible future is if he kills Buffy, because essentially the first, you know, they start by just like giving him all these visions of his past people that he's killed, blah, blah, blah. And then the first starts trying to convince him to rape and kill Buffy. 
So she's the possible ghost of Christmas future. She's the possible victim of the future. <clears throat> if he continues on his current path, I guess. Um, so that part's a little bit interesting that it's kind of a Scrooge story without being over the top about it. I will give this episode that credit. Um, it is one of the only moments of giving this episode any fucking credit. Okay. Um, the next day, Buffy is telling Xander and Willow at school about running into Angel and how weird he was because he was seeing Daniel in the background and acting twitchy um, when Buffy saw him. And um, she's like, it was so weird. He just like ran away without even saying anything. And so I think this is interesting because Buffy normally wouldn't confide in them about something like this. So this kind of shows... Which is also like how a person that is the victim in an abusive relationship would act. They wouldn't really necessarily talk about, you know, seeing that person or, you know, they would try to keep it from their friends because they know that their friends don't approve of the relationship and, you know, stuff like that. So this is kind of interesting in that respect that she's telling them that she saw him because it might even mean that she really is trying to stay away from him, that she really is trying to get over him because she's talking about him again. You know, anyway. Anyway. Um, at one point, you know, I guess Willow in this conversation suggests that Buffy go talk to Giles about it. Like maybe something's wrong with Angel. Go talk to Giles. And Buffy's like, well, I don't know. Giles is still pretty twitchy about Angel. And Xander says, oh, because of how he like tortured him and killed his girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And then Buffy just sort of says, Xander, enough. Okay. And he stops. And, um, Although in this particular moment, like Xander got checked in this moment for being an asshole, but in this particular moment, I think he was justified. Like the one time Xander gets checked for his assholeish behavior, and I think he's justified in that moment because it needs to be pointed out that Angel has done really terrible things, not only in his past, but in the very, very recent past to them to all of them angel has been a dick to everyone and it needs to be pointed out and if xander has to be the one to do it fine um then they're talking about like christmas plans and willow keeps saying that she's jewish okay hanukkah spirit not christmas spirit <laughs> and um buffy's plan is tree nog roast beast it's going to be her and mom. That's it. They're going to hang out. Whatever. Um, they see Cordelia in the like little lounge area and she like, you know, snarks at them for a second. This is the only time we see Cordelia. We find out that she's going skiing. Good for her. I love when she, um, she just basically says to them, must suck to be stuck here in Sweatydale. I'll be like, while I'm skiing on the slopes or blah, 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 whatever. And she's like, I'll be thinking about you. Okay, I'm done. And then she turns around and walks off. <laughs> it's the best. Um, we love you, Cordelia. I hope you feel better soon. Um, Oz at this point walks up, like right after Cordelia walks off, he comes up and says hi to Willow. 
and Xander just immediately looks really uncomfortable and avoids eye contact with Oz. <laughs> and to Oz's infinite credit, he doesn't even like scowl at Xander or anything. He just sort of looked at him like he was acknowledging his existence and then he turned his head to Willow and, and addressed her only. And he, he wants to talk, so they go to a classroom, an empty classroom in the middle of the day. Like, that happens all the time. And Oz basically, and this is another thing, like, is this a parallel that we're supposed to notice? Because it's almost heartbreaking the way that Oz is, the way that he frames this whole thing. Basically, he just says to Willow, I miss you a lot. It feels like I'm missing a torso being without you. I think about you all the time. Um, and he acknowledges, he's like, you and Xander have a past and I don't think that will ever be, I don't think it will ever be completely over between you two, but I miss you. So let's try again. And it's kind of like, I don't think I've ever really saw it this way before, but this just really broke my heart this time. Like, it's almost like he's choosing to go back to an abusive relationship. You know, he's just like, I can't stop thinking about you, even though you cheated on me and you were disrespectful towards me. So let's, let's try, let's try it. Let's see what goes. Let's see if it works, you know, whatever. So I don't know, like, <laughs> Oz is so emotionally mature and he's such an awesome boyfriend and of course I want him around and in order for that to be the case that I guess he needs to be dating Willow but this particular time it just broke my heart to see him almost like disrespecting himself like he doesn't it's oh it's like we're seeing that he genuinely doesn't believe that she is necessarily going to not cheat on him again um, and that, you know, he knows that she's going to be around Xander all the time. And Oz is not the type of person to try to regulate that behavior. Like most guys in this type of situation, if they were going back to someone that had cheated on them, they'd be like, okay, but you can't hang out with the person you cheated on me with anymore. And that would almost even be a reasonable request in a lot of cases, but he knows that they're com they're best friends and that she's been hung up on him forever. There's already been several instances. Uh, you know, like, it's not just the fact that Willow cheated on him and was making out with Xander for a couple weeks. You know, there was the first, when they were first starting to hang out and Willow, like, asked Oz if they wanted to make out that time that they were in the van waiting for Xander and Cordelia to like do something. Um, you know, in the very beginning, he was like, mm, it kind of looks like you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous. So I'm not going to make out with you right now. And we see a parallel to that conversation in this episode later on, which we'll get to. But, you know, there was that instance, there was the time that um, Willow was under the love spell like everyone else at school, and she like heavily came on to Xander, and um, Oz punched him, you know, and he forgave her for that because she was under a spell, but I don't know, you know, it's 
totally reasonable for Oz to not trust that Willow and Xander are done and will ever be done at this point. At this point, it's totally reasonable for him to have that assumption, and yet he still wants to be with her. And that just kind of makes me sad. Okay, so let's move on. <laughs> I also wrote, um, there are zero left-handed desks, because they did like a pan up of the classroom in the first shot whenever they're talking. And it shows like the sea of desks. And I and I paused it to, to see if there was a single left-handed desk. I gotta tell you, being a left-handed person at school, okay, it sucks. It sucks. Because most of the time there are those like tiny desks that like you can barely fit into. And if there's not a left-handed one, it's just such a pain in the ass. Y'all right-handed people don't know how comfortable it can be to lay your whole arm down and write with it. <laughs> Those of us that had to make do with the right-handed desks, especially the ones that were tiny, like, it was always, I don't know, the left-handed people were always fighting over the one half-broken left-handed desk, or they were trying to find one of the rare gigantic surfaces so that you could put your arm down even if it was a right-handed desk you know what I'm saying the struggle is real when it comes to finding a left-handed desk <laughs> at school um there is a cute little moment at the end of this conversation when you know like Oz has basically said I'd like to try again and Willow um asks for hug consent so that's nice she says do you want us to hug now and he says yes, and they hug, and it's a sweet little moment of them, a reconciliation hug, and they're not, like, making out or anything, which is good. Um, so that was nice. Um, then later that night, Buffy and Joyce are shopping for a Christmas tree. It's, like, two or three days before Christmas, and they're shopping for a Christmas tree. Whatever. Um, I just want to, let's do a momentary what's up with Nyxtris. about that? I was going to tell you guys this at the beginning, but then I got distracted by how much I'm mad at this episode. Um, just a tiny break in the rant. I realized that I have the, I'll call it solstice spirit, since if I was going to associate myself with anything, it would be um, the Yule spirit. I've got the Yule spirit. I, I would just call myself a witch, if anything. I'm definitely not, you know, Christian or Jewish or, you know, anything else. Um, so I'll say it's the solstice spirit. I finally was infected with it last night. I, I played Christmas music on my, um, on my radio show last night. So if you guys don't know, I have a radio show called Mixtress Radio. Um, and it's every Friday from seven to 10 central standard time. You can find the link for it on my website or on my Instagram for that. My Instagram for the radio show is Mixtress Radio and my website is mixtressray.com, which I hardly ever plug my website. It's basically just a blogger blog, but I always post an entry for like every new episode of the podcast, every new um, video on my YouTube and every new, um, every, no, I don't post on there whenever I have a new radio show because it's just every Friday. <laughs> but I do a post on my Mixtress Radio Instagram page um, just to remind people that 
every week that there's a show. Anyway, so I was playing Christmas music on my radio show last night, and like I had this all planned out. I cleaned the house yesterday, and um, because in my mind, the house has to be clean before I can decorate for Christmas. <laughs> um, so I cleaned the house during the day, and then when the radio show started and I started playing Christmas music, I started getting out all the Christmas decorations, and this year we decided, usually I have this big silver tinsel tree, like one of those like behemoths that have several parts to it that you have to put together, <laughs> and it's, you know, like eight feet tall or whatever, and um, then I usually, and I have several other trees too, <laughs> like, so of varying sizes. So usually I have like this little Christmas tree forest. That's what I set up. But this year I was just like, you know what? We're not putting the tree in the same place that we usually do every year because there's now a shelf in the place. Basically my altar, my Wiccan altar is this like really cool decorative shelf that my Michael made and um, is on this decorative shelf that my Michael made and I didn't want to move it in order to put the tree in that same place. So we just decided to put it in a, in the corner this year. Anyway, you guys don't care, but I basically just decided instead of using the big tinsel tree to just use the other trees, since I always set up four trees, like one of them is just like this simple little tinsel spiral thing that takes like two seconds to set up. And then I have this really cool purple like medium sized tree and then I've got this tiny you know one of those like two feet purple tinsel trees and I usually set up all four of those but this year we decided not to set up the silver one and it looks really cool because they're just these three little trees in the corner and it just looks really pretty and I don't have a ton of ornaments so it it looks better having that same amount of ornaments on the three little trees instead of on one big tree and three little trees, you know, and it just looks really cool. Like we just did it slightly different this year. Michael put a bunch of lights downstairs and it's just, you know, basically like three strands of multicolored lights that he set up downstairs that you can see from outside a little bit. Cause they're like around the windows and stuff. And I don't know, it was just, it was a simple Christmas setup, but it's making me really happy. And while listening to the Christmas music, I was just like, okay, all right, I'm in a good, warm, happy place right now. So that was just really meaningless, but I'm feeling it. I'm feeling the solstice spirit, or as Willow would say, the Hanukkah spirit. Um, so they're shopping for Christmas trees, Joyce and Buffy, and Joyce finally, fucking finally, is the voice of reason on behalf of Faith. She, she says to Buffy, like, hey, Faith, Faith doesn't have anything except that dingy hotel room. Why don't you invite her over for Christmas Eve dinner? Yeah, why don't you also invite her to fucking stay with you in the meantime? Like, Faith is constantly left out of everything because she doesn't go to school with them. Like, it's not even really discussed why she's not going to school. Never really thought about that, but it's not. They don't ever discuss why she's not going to school. Why is she not going to school? Are we supposed to think she's older than Buffy and she doesn't need to be in school? Are we just supposed to accept that she's just a trashy dropout? Like, what is the deal? Like, why is she still staying in a hotel? Obviously, she's here permanently. <gasps> it's 
sorry. I know like every single time we talk about Faith, I'm like, why? Why is no one giving her a place to stay? She's a homeless youth. (laughs) But anyway, finally, Joyce is like, look, you need to invite Faith. And Buffy's like, well, we don't talk that much. And she's like, I don't care. Invite her. And then... Buffy suggests inviting Giles over, which is perfectly reasonable, but Joyce is so, like, you know, she's still flashing back to the fact that her and Giles did it back in Band Candy episode, um, so she just, like, oh, he doesn't want to spend Christmas with a bunch of girls. Well, he doesn't have anybody either. He's, I mean, he's got his spectacular place. It's a much better environment to have a solo Christmas in than where Faith is, but he still should get to come over. <laughs> like, come on. Uh, anyway. So Buffy goes to visit Faith and invites her to Christmas, and Faith makes up this excuse that she has, like, a party to go to, but it's obvious that she is making it up, and Buffy knows that. Um, so she says, well, you know, if you change your mind, it's, we'll be there, you know. Um, Giles is making dinner. He's cooking for himself and Angel shows up and knocks on the door. And I wrote, Angel ruins Giles's dinner because he's like, obviously he's in like the, he's simmering things, you know, he's, there's lots of activity. And then he goes to the door and is distracted by Angel for 10 minutes. So I'm sure he burned his dinner. Anyway, Angel basically, you know, he says that he doesn't have anyone else to go to. He needs to know why he came back. He doesn't understand why he's back. And he's being haunted by all the people that he's killed. And Giles is, he's spouting some truths here. He says, um, so Angel says, I need to know why I'm here. Giles says, knowing why you were brought back would give you peace of mind. Angel says, it might. And then Giles says, do you think that's something you ought to have? Because, sir, to be blunt, the last time you became complacent about your existence, it turned out rather badly. Yes. Okay, slow clap for Giles. Let's just hear that again. Let's just take those words in. Okay, let them roll over you. Steep yourself in the tea of Giles' words. Do you think that's something you ought to have? Because, sir, to be blunt, the last time you became complacent about your existence, it turned out rather badly. So, at first, okay, so Angel's standing at the door. He can't come in because the invitation was rescinded back after he killed Jenny. And apparently that still stands even when you've gone to hell for a thousand years and come back. Whatever. (laughs) Those spells are really effective, you guys. Even through hell dimensions, they still exist. So he's standing there and he like has to, he points out to Giles that he can't come in unless he's invited. And Giles has kind of gone through to the kitchen and then he comes back out with the crossbow, with a crossbow and says, I'm aware of that. And then he invites him in. So he's pointing a crossbow at him as he comes in the house. Which, I don't see why they couldn't have just had this conversation with him standing in the doorway. If I were Giles, I wouldn't have even invited him in. Um, so he's talking, while he's talk while Giles is saying those words that I just repeated twice, Jenny shows up. And she's standing there. 
And man, I mean, I know I pointed out almost every episode, but Anthony Stewart had is such a fantastic actor because she's there standing right next to him, like in this scene. And Giles is like, you know, Angel says like, you don't see her or whatever. And Giles turns around and like, He's so good at pretending that someone is not standing right there. I mean, so good. I mean, she is definitely standing right there. Like, they didn't, like, film it in some weird way where she wasn't actually there so he could effectively pretend that she wasn't there. He is just that good. So good. Anyway. So Angel gets real freaked out because Jenny's there. And this is the first time we see Jenny. Um... And he runs away. <laughs> so he did not take any of those lessons that Giles was imparting upon him to heart. Um, then we see him having another um, nightmare. And this is where I wrote my next note is, is there an orb of Thessala behind his head? So I don't think this was there in the first scene when we're watching him like toss and turn having a nightmare. But there's like... There's like a glowy orb like in the headboard behind his head. Like it's dark enough in his bedroom that it's hard to see what's going on. It's almost like his headboard has a shelf, but there's also like some piece of furniture right behind his bed. And then there's a windowsill. I don't know. Something's going on back there you can't see because it's dark. But there's there looks like to be an orb of Thessala behind his head. Like is that... Is that some sort of symbolism that we're supposed to remember that he has his soul or something? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, the dream that he's having right now is real rapey angel. So this is when he kills the servant girl, when the servant girl was introduced. So he's, um, he's got her cornered under the stairs and he's just telling her to keep quiet. Don't make a scene. You know, like, do you think anyone's going to believe you if you cry out right now? And, you know, it's just real rapey. And then he kills her in the dream, like we are led to believe actually happened in real life. And as soon as he kills her, he looks up and Buffy is there. And she's actually there. Like, you see her wake up and you realize, oh, she was just literally in his dream. Interesting. Um... And then my next note is, why is Angel sleeping at night? He's a fucking vampire. Like, he's sleeping at the same time that Buffy is sleeping so that they can guest spot in each other's dreams. Like, really? Um, and then we get a scene of Jenny tormenting Angel. And I just wrote down this quote from Jenny. If you want to feel sorry for someone, you should feel sorry for yourself. But I guess you got that covered. <laughs> Words of wisdom from Jenny. Um... Buffy goes to Giles. It's like nighttime, maybe. I think at this point it's supposed to be Christmas break and nobody's at school. So Buffy goes to him, but he's at the library. And then she's just like asking him, let's help Angel. Can we help Angel? Like, I'm really trying to get over him. But if I'm, if we're guest spotting in each other's dreams, that's never going to happen. And he agrees to help. And it's just, it's so big of him. <laughs> so big of him to help research what's going on with Angel and try to help him despite everything he's done. I mean, not only all the things that Angel directly did to Giles, he tortured him for hours for pleasure. 
as as Giles pointed out. Oh, remember that speech? That was so good. Um, not only did he torture him and kill his girlfriend, but all of the terrible things that he did to Buffy, his slayer. Like, the, the reason why he is in Sunnydale, California, spending Christmas alone, is because he's there for his slayer. Anyway. So, despite all of that, Giles agrees to help, and then Xander walks in. And he, like, what was he doing? Lurking outside the doorway? Why is he at the library? It's like, ugh. This is just kind of silly. This, this following point of events is kind of silly. So Buffy goes to talk to Giles and he happens to be at the library on Christmas break. Then Xander walks in and he presents an olives, olive branch. You know, this is supposed to be like Xander's way of apologizing, even though he actually doesn't because Xander never apologizes. He basically just says, okay, what, what can we do to help? He just like walks in and um, he, then he has this little speech. I know I haven't been your bestest friend when it comes to Angel, but um, I'm here to help. Let's do it. And Buffy just like gives him the most appreciative look. Like, oh my God, Xander, that's so awesome that you're choosing to help right now. Like, <sighs> anyway. And then Willow walks in right after that and says, hey guys, what are we doing? <laughs> Which is cute which is cute and that um sets off a nice little research montage but just so implausible anyway don't look too hard into the plot points of buffy take a drink every time i say that um i love the research montage because it's just you know you see like a little time lapse thing of them like eating pizza and you know doing research and hanging out and like Christmas break togetherness research and demons but then I wrote call faith <laughs> like they just don't let her into anything she's just because she didn't randomly show up in the library like everybody else they don't call her. Like, they probably weren't going to call Willow either. Like, it probably just would have been Xander and Giles helping out, but... Because they happen to be there. But come on, you guys. You gotta let her in. Ugh. Okay. Okay, fuck. I still have two more pages of notes, front and back. So the next scene is Jenny taunting Angel some more. We just go back to her taunting him. And he's just sort of arguing like, well, I was a vampire when I did all those things, you know, like I didn't ever have a chance to like, whatever, to be a man. And Jenny says, oh yes. And what a man you were drunken, whoring layabout. And then we get like a little flashback to, um, him just being drunk and like being, like swatting at the ankles of someone dancing on a table, like of a woman dancing on a table. I don't know, whatever. So, God, <laughs> I just like can't with Angel. I just can't. Um, I also need to note that Giles does not decorate his home for Christmas. There was nothing in his home that was Christmassy, but at the library, he's got like a poinsettia. He's got 
some like tinsel just draped in various places. He's got a little um, stocking that says Mr. Giles in glitter. <laughs> it's very cute. The library is decorated for Christmas. I don't know if like Buffy and Xander and Willow did that for him or what. I would have loved to have seen a montage of them decorating the library for him. Um, we could have seen a few minutes of that instead of fucking angel okay <laughs> so many miss missed opportunities in this episode i feel like if we were truly to feel the weight of the torment that angel is being caused by these apparitions then there should have been little sprinkles in the past few episodes of like something's going on with angel what's going on with the angel he's really super extra distressed lately um blah 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 i feel like they should have built up to this but all we see is angel immediately being completely crazy because he's seeing little apparitions of people from his past like i would have assumed that someone as broody as Angel that genuinely feels guilt for all the bad things that he did when he didn't have a soul would constantly be somewhat tormented by the things that he's done. So like he should be used to covering for that and but he's so fucking pathetic like every time he's talking to either Buffy or Giles in this episode he's seeing an apparition of someone and he's so distracted by it that he can't think and he's just totally ridiculous and i realized that seeing an apparition of somebody that you killed would be very distressing but if he genuinely gives a shit about anyone other than himself he would be trying to cover that he would be trying to cover that in front of the two people that he hurt the most in this current reality giles and buffy which are the only people he interacts with in this episode <sighs> okay 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 I'm calming down. Um, everyone falls asleep researching, which is kind of cute. Like, they're all, like, in their own little spaces after they've been researching all day. And um, Xander's kind of fallen asleep in Giles' office. Giles is always still up. Like, he's never... He's just researches through the night. Like, he never falls asleep. So he's still, like, flittering around, getting different books. Uh, I think you see like a little shot of Willow asleep somewhere and then you see Buffy asleep upstairs in the stacks and she and then they start playing real soothing music and she looks like she's having fun with this dream so she's dreaming that she's having sex with Angel and it's another shared dream because he's having the same dream again why is Angel sleeping at night I don't know <laughs> he's so depressed he just sleeps all the time sorry not to make fun of depression you know like but angel needs to be made fun of i'm making fun of him not depression okay okay so this is when we first um get the fact that the first is we don't know that it's the first yet but the first is telling angel to rape and kill buffy essentially um it as Jenny, it says, take her and then you'll be ready to kill her. So they're like, have your moment of happiness and then kill the bitch. Basically, that's what they're telling him to do. Um, we find out about the Harbingers. I think they show up in this dream 
first the sex dream at the end you see a harbinger like watching them and these are like the creatures that have like the no eyes and the rune symbols like burned into their where their eyes would be whatever i don't know they look like runes to me um then we get this scene between willow and oz so Oz is coming over to Willow's house. It was established earlier that her parents are out of town and he, and he's going to come over and they're going to watch videos. And he, he brings some like rented tapes. I'd love to know what those are. He has two rented videotapes. He shows up and Willow is playing Barry Manilow, not Barry Manilow, uh, Barry White. Sorry. Totally different. She's playing Barry White and, um, wearing like she's got a little bit of cleavage she's wearing red velvet and basically she tells Oz that she's ready to you know like do the thing <laughs> I'm ready this is her big gesture um that she wants to show Oz that he is very important to her and you know she's not going to I don't know whatever and again, like I said earlier, this is another scene in which Oz like has to be so emotionally mature. This is just like when she was like, do you want to make out? And he's like, well, it looks like you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous. This is almost the same type of situation. Like she's trying to make this big gesture that she's actually not ready for. And he has to be emotionally um, mature enough to realize that that's her motivation and he turns her down. He, you know, like in typical Oz class style, Willow says, Oz, I'm ready. Oz says, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm not. Um, and then he says some stuff like, you know, and then he's just like really sweet and gentle with her. Like you look great. You got Barry working for you. Everything's great. Like the, there's candles, there's like Sprite on ice. Like, you know, she's got the scene set, but he says, when it happens, I want it to be because we both need it to, for the same reasons. And you can see that she's relieved. She didn't really want to. <sighs> like no guy is emotionally mature enough to turn somebody down in this situation to realize that they're not actually saying that they're ready when they're really not. And like, Oz is so good. Anyway, it's just, I'm so mad at Willow. Like even in that scene earlier, whenever Oz was just, you know, like basically saying he wants to get back together, she was interrupting him. Like he was saying, like, I don't think it's really ever going to be over between you two. And she's like, Oz, please believe me. And then when she's talking to Buffy later, she says something like, I don't know how to make Oz trust me. It's like very forceful. Like she just wants to flip a switch, which this is true to Willow's character in general, that, that she wants, you know, any distress that she's feeling to be over with immediately, which is what later leads her to, you know, doing spells so that people will forgive her immediately or forget things that she did bad immediately. Like that was bad grammar, but you know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, Willow doesn't deserve the amazing humans that come into her life and have relationships with her. 
which is something that I've said many times and will say many more times. Um, Faith shows up at Buffy's house, so I do cry when I watch this episode, but it's not when Buffy's trying to convince Angel not to kill himself. I cry when Faith shows up at Buffy's house because she's just, you can tell she's just very vulnerable. She comes with these little gifts. She essentially admits to Buffy that there was no party. Like at first she's like, it looks like that party was going to be kind of a drag. And then there's like a little pause and she's like, I didn't really have, basically she's saying, I don't have anywhere else to be. And she's admitting that to Buffy. And then Buffy like invites her in. And it's just this great little moment where, <sighs> okay. So this is the thing. This is the scene in this episode that I alluded to in the last episode of the podcast where I was just like, oh, there's this moment with Faith. And like, I feel like this is a turning, one of the turning points for Faith. Like, obviously there are things peppered in everywhere. Like no one's giving her a place to stay. No one's like letting her know when they're researching things. No one's letting her in on anything ever. Those are all big deals. But this is one of those moments where it's like, Buffy's presented with the choice of family and, and like emotional stability. And in this moment, she could choose, it just looks like there's just this nice little moment where she could spend Christmas Eve with Faith and her mom eating food, decorating the tree. I don't know why they waited till Christmas Eve to decorate the tree, but they did. There's a fire, like just hanging out together. She could have that alternative on this night instead of chasing Angel around town, preventing him from fucking killing himself. She chooses the abusive ex-boyfriend in this moment over her bestest slayer friend. And this is one of the moments where she gets abandoned yet again. She's showing up on Buffy's porch. She does get to like hang out and she hangs out with Joyce all night. And that's probably good for her. Um, but she's just like immediately. So Buffy invites her in and then she says she's going to go upstairs to her room to get Faith's gifts or whatever. And, um, she goes up there and Angel's there. He's just in her fucking bedroom. Okay. So this is so rapey. This is so rapey. So she's, he's in her bedroom when she gets there and Jenny is there taunting him, telling him to take comfort in her. And he like, even like looks over at the bed. Like basically he's about to give in and rape Buffy and kill her. Of course, Joyce and Faith are downstairs, so probably they would have saved her. I almost wish that, you know, in this moment, there's so many moments in this episode where we could have just dealt with Angel real quick. Giles could have just gone ahead and just killed him with that crossbow real quick. Um, in this moment, if he had attempted to rape Buffy, um, hell would have rained down on him from Faith and Buffy. I mean, it would have taken Buffy a second because she's so emotionally distracted by him. But, you know, he could have attempted it and then Faith could have killed him and it could have been over. You know, it could have been over. I just, in this, the way that this episode is playing out, I just do not want Angel to live. 
I don't want him to live. He is almost, he almost gives in and he almost rapes and kills Buffy. He is able to throw himself out the window at one point, but this is just, you know, this is it. Buffy tried to have a normal Christmas Eve and then her fucking abusive ex-boyfriend shows up and she's distracted by him. So she immediately leaves. She decides. And okay, here's another moment. Here's another moment where she could have let Faith in and she doesn't. Like she basically decides, I got to leave right now. I got to go over to Giles's house. She ends up at Giles's house, like doing research for who knows, maybe hours because it's sunrise by the time she tracks Angel down. At this point, that she hasn't even had dinner yet. So it's got to be like relatively early in the evening. And she leaves to go over to Jaws's house and do research for a bunch of hours. But she doesn't have 10 seconds to explain to Faith what's going on. Because basically Faith is saying, yeah, I'll stay here and play watchdog. Because Buffy's asking her to stay with Joyce just in case Angel comes back. And in case he is dangerous. So that's something smart that she does at least. But so Faith's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay here and play watchdog. I don't really get it though. And sorry, I'm going to get forward on my notes here. And, um, Buffy says, I will tell you everything later. I promise. Like she can't, like she doesn't fucking have time to, to tell her what's going on. Or maybe she just realizes how stupid it sounds. Well, my ex-boyfriend, he's just being real weird lately. He's being like haunted by people that he's killed before because he's a really bad guy before. But like, then he's like, we are in dreams together. I'm in his dreams and he's in my dreams. And it's just like, I feel like he's just really upset right now and you need to go to him. <laughs> She's just afraid that Faith's going to be like, uh, fuck that. Stay here with us. Like, let him go figure out whatever the fuck's going on with him. Go ahead. But no, she doesn't even have time to tell Faith what the fuck's going on. Um, I'm sure Joyce is in the dark too. But she's not even acting like she cares what's going on. She's just like, okay, whatever. Like, Joyce doesn't even really have a line here. She's just like the the person that needs to be protected. Anyway. Oh, and I wrote, <laughs> this is a note that I forgot to write. Right, right as she's like going up the stairs and she finds Angel in her room, I wrote, she's having one fucking moment of her goddamn life when she's not thinking about Angel and there he is in her goddamn bedroom. Like she really was having a moment. Like as she's walking up the stairs, she's like, don't look at your gifts, mom. You're going to know what they are. You know, like I'm just going to go get face gifts real quick. And like she tells Faith that she's glad she's there. And it's just, <sighs> I mourn. Every time I watch this episode, I mourn for the evening that the three of them could have had. I also think Giles should have been invited, but even if he wasn't, I still mourn Joyce, Faith, and Buffy having a nice Christmas Eve together, you know? Okay, sorry. I'll try to stop talking about that. <laughs> oh, and at one point, Angel... Oh, God. So that whole scene when he's, like, staring at her neck and staring at the bed and, like, wanting to lose his soul. So, you know, wanting to rape and kill her. He says to her, you have to stay away from me. <laughs> he's in her fucking bedroom uninvited and he says you have to stay away from me like 
What the fuck? Did she tell them? Did she tell Joyce and Faith when she got downstairs? Angel was just in my bedroom. I gotta get the fuck out of here. Something's going on with him. Like, what the fuck did she even say to them? Fucking shit. Anyway. So she goes to Giles' house to do more research. Um, At one point, Giles says, you know, if he truly becomes a danger, you may have to kill him again. Can you do that? And then the scene just sort of like, they like do like a close up of Buffy's face as he's saying that to her. And then it goes to another scene. So we don't even know what her answer is. Like, it almost seems like, it almost seems like Giles is the baddie in Buffy's ear taunting her to kill Angel while the ghost of Jenny is taunting Angel in her, in his ear, taunting him to kill her. So, like, I, what, I don't like that parallel. Those aren't the same things at all. And the fact that we don't even get to hear Buffy's reply when Giles asks if she is going to be able to kill him again makes me think that she can't do it. And it even, like, it does that transition thing that Buffy does a lot where he's saying, can you do that? And then there's a close-up of her anguished face, and then it switches to Angel and Jenny back at the mansion, and he says, I can't do it, because she is taunting him at the same time to kill Buffy. You know, like, I don't think these two parallels should be made, you know? If Buffy kills Angel, it's because he needs to be killed. Whereas, you know, a demon an evil force, the most evil force in the universe is telling Angel to rape and kill Buffy. That's totally not the same thing. Okay. God, this episode makes me mad. Um, something they find in their research. Giles finds something that nothing shall grow above or below. So Buffy remembers that there was like this part at the at the Christmas tree place, there was like this little section of trees that just like died randomly. So she realizes, hey, that's where the harbingers are. So she breaks into that little area. And this is where we get some actually good quips from Buffy. She says to them, they're all like, the harbingers are all hanging out chanting. And she says, all right, 10 more minutes of chanting. And then you guys have to go to bed. (laughs) And then she starts kicking their asses. And um, that's the quote of the episode. So, you know, Jenny then appears to Buffy after she dispatches, she must kill all of the harbingers or they run away or something, whatever. They're gone. Jenny appears to her and she just starts talking about how she's, at this point, they know that it's the first, um, they know that there's this thing called the first evil and blah, blah, blah. And, um, it starts like describing how evil it is for like, you know, a good 15 seconds. And Buffy says, all right, I get it. You're evil. Do we have to chat about it all day? (laughs) So another really great Buffy quip. That was almost the quote of the episode, but I really enjoy the 10 more minutes of chanting quote. So that's why that one won. Um, she catches up to basically the Jenny apparition reveals to Buffy that, um, I guess I forgot to mention Angel in the last conversation with Jenny, he's saying he can't kill Buffy. So he'll just kill himself. 
And like the Jenny apparition was just like, um, I don't think you have what it takes to kill yourself. And he's like, well, I don't have to be strong. I just have to wait for the sun to rise. So the Jenny first, Jenny first <laughs> tells Buffy that that's what his plan is, that he's waiting for the sun to rise. He's going to kill himself. I don't know why. I, I don't know whatever maybe they're, they're just trying to get Buffy in the same place as Angel because maybe Angel could still kill Buffy I think the first really the main reason is that the first wants Angel to kill Buffy it's unclear and they don't really ever reveal it in this series they may talk about it in the Angel series I feel like it ends up being the powers that be which is really an element in Angel and not in Buffy the show um I think it's the powers that be that bring Angel back. And I think there's more of an explanation for that in that show. But it, at, in the course of this show, they don't really reveal if it really was the first that brought him back or not. But I don't think it is. But in, anyway, the first is taking credit for bringing him back. And, you know, they're just trying. I, it's like they're trying to get him to pick a side, basically. So either he dies or he kills Buffy. They want him to like choose a path. And at this point, he's not choosing a path. He's just sort of being a waste of space. So in that way, I guess the first has some altruistic intentions because I think we'd all rather see Angel either be evil or be good, but be in the broody reading existential novels middle is not working for anybody. But I don't think he has to be with Buffy to be good. And that's what this show is kind of trying to say, I feel like. Anyway, um, my next note is Angel is making a great argument for dying right now. <laughs> like he basically says, I'm not a good man. I was never a good man. I'm not, I'm terrible. Like I really suck. <laughs> and then Buffy, Buffy says some good things. Like if you're taking this in context of like anti-suicide messages, um, she says some, some important things the way for Angel specifically, like these particular words wouldn't necessarily work with anyone that's suicidal, but she says to him, you have the power to do real good to make amends. But if you die now, then all you ever were was a monster. And his response to that is he knocks her on the ground. I think she hits him first, but this is just... I mean, I know that she's a slayer, he's a vampire, so some of the, like, girl versus boy domestic abuse situations that they get into are supposed to be okay because of the fact that she's a slayer and he's a vampire. But I don't like that. He knocks her down and then shakes her while she's on the ground. He, like, gets down and grabs her lapels and shakes her and, like, says, am I a righteous man? Am I a thing worth saving? And I'm like, no, you're not. Just let the, just walk away, Buffy. Let the sun fucking come up, okay? <sighs> so many opportunities that he could have been dispatched. He could have been dealt with, okay? Just deal with him. God, he's so fucking terrible. Okay. Then Buffy says, strong is fighting. It's hard. It's painful. And it's 
and it's every day and she's like crying and she's like I wish I were wished you dead but I don't I can't and she's like crying and like and she's like I know at one point he says you can't know all the terrible things that I've done and she responds to it during this speech like saying I know all the bad things that you did because you did them to me it's like why is he not acknowledging that? Why is he acting like she's outside of that? Like she can't understand the fucking pain that he's in. <laughs> God. Everyone's amazed at this point. Like during Buffy's little speech, he's just, he's still just saying like, just leave me alone. Just let me die. I wish she would have. It starts snowing and it's like a super heavy snowfall and like the temperature drops to the 30s even though they're in Southern California and it's just like this cold front that we get from like a stupid little newscast or whatever. It's a cold front that is hovering over Sunnydale only. Like it's not even in the rest of Southern California. What the fuck ever. So it's, it's really pointed out. It's really, this is where the morality really hits you on the head. Where like... There was, um, what was it? One of my Buffy books, the one called Why Buffy Matters. Um, they had some really good points. They were making a lot of parallels between this episode and just like Christianity, themes of Christianity and morality in general, which is, I think that tracks for the most part. And they said something like, he can't withstand the moral white light of the sun so like the goodness of the sun is about to kill him because he's an evil being like that's the whole thing with vampires is like the sun is supposed to be a symbol for goodness and light and a vampire can't withstand that so he can't withstand that he's not moral enough to be in the sun yet but the purity of the white snow and the fact that the sun is completely covered up by this miraculous precipitation event <sighs> means it symbolizes his redemption arc, his possible future, that he could choose to make amends, that it might actually be worth it. Which I think is an interesting point, but I also don't think he deserves that. You know, like, it's almost like God slash fate, whatever, intervened and created the snow because, to stop him from dying because the sun was about to come up, you know, it was about to come up and then it snowed. And for some reason, the snow covers up the sun. I don't know why, but it does. <laughs> and I just hate that. It's just so hokey. Like just this whole, he's meant to be here thing which I would totally be on board with if we had any, any evidence that Angel deserves to be here. You know, has he done anything good? Like, all he's been doing since he got back from hell is, like, sniveling a lot and telling Buffy he doesn't accept the fact that she wants to have a better life by not being in a relationship with him. He hasn't... Ugh... He has not earned this God snow event at all. And then I, I thought of something this time watching it that I've never thought of before. So 
at the very end of the episode, it's just basically everybody's super awed by the snow. Like you see each character, you see Faith and Joyce sort of walk out of the house and like look at the snow. So it's dawn at this point and everybody's still fucking awake watching the snow, whatever. Um, Oz and Willow like get up from her bed and they're wearing like pajamas. Like he might not be, but she is. So obviously, like, they've had a hardcore cuddling session of some kind and maybe some other stuff. Um, but they get up and go outside and they watch the snow. And then Xander is asleep outside um, within his sleeping bag, as is his Christmas Eve tradition. And he, like, sort of wakes up because the snow is hitting him in the face. And they're all just looking at the snow. And the episode ends, like, Buffy's in the middle of yelling and crying at Angel trying to convince him not to kill himself and she's just like putting it all out there and she's telling him we can we can face this together she's basically saying let's get back together please don't kill yourself I'll I'll come back to you it's okay oh god god I hate this episode so much anyway so the whole episode ends with them just walking down the street, holding hands. Buffy and Angel walking down the street, holding hands, and there's snow fucking everywhere. It's like, it's like a huge snowstorm. And they're just walking down the street, being in awe of the snow, just having a nice little Christmas morning magical moment. And I wrote down, wouldn't this be a true moment of happiness? Like, he just got saved by the universe from killing himself and he got back together with his girlfriend and he's walking around in the snow holding hands with her how is that not a true moment of happiness he looks pretty fucking happy he should lose his soul right now <laughs> okay so apparently there was some kind of like uprising from fans um, this was in one of my Buffy books. Um, I don't remember which one it was in. Anyway, whatever. doesn't matter. Uh, there was some kind of uprising. There was this chat room called The Bronze when um, online, obviously online chat room called The Bronze. And um, there was like an uprising after this episode because people felt like it was really Christian. Like there was even while they were walking in the snow, they walk past the, um, the movie theater and it says, it's like, it says pray on the marquee. I think it was just like, it was, the shot was cutting off the rest of whatever the movie was called and it said pray and just the Christian overtones in general in this undertones, overtones, whatever in this episode are pretty heavy, but that's something that Joss does a lot. Like, and he even apparently responded on the bronze chat room because he liked to lurk there and like every once in a while interject his fucking opinions. He just loved it. God, I hate him. I hate him these days. Anyway, he like interjected something about how he's not, he is an atheist, but like, religious symbolism has always been something that he thinks is really powerful or whatever. So fine. But there is just like thinking back on it, there's a lot of religious shit going on in this episode. Like in the very beginning, when Angel is having the dream about killing Daniel, Daniel like recites 
starts reciting a scripture or something. Like, as he's about to die, he starts, like, saying some scripture of some kind. And then something was pointed out in the Why Buffy Matters book that I thought was kind of interesting. It's not, not something I thought of. But they referenced um, that that verse in the Bible that is... It's actually one of the verses in the Bible that I really like. It's that one that's um, where Jesus is talking to his disciples about, like, when I when I was sick, you helped me. When I was hungry, you fed me. Like, unto the least of these, my brethren, you what you've done unto them, you've done unto me, or whatever. That's I'm severely butchering it, but you might know what I'm referring to if you have any roots in Christianity. Um, I, I always liked that verse because it was all about how you should treat everyone, not only treat everyone the way you want to be treated, but if you believe in God, treat everyone the way you would treat God themselves. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Like, if somebody doesn't have morality, that's one of the things about Christianity, I think. Like, if you don't have your own internal morality, Christianity will make it for you. And in these types of verses, it's the right kind of morality, you know? But anyway, that verse, the Why Buffy Matters book made a parallel between that verse and Buffy telling Angel, I know what you've done. I know the worst that you've done because you've done it to me. So I don't know if that was intentional, but that's kind of interesting because Buffy really is in some ways painted as a Christ figure just throughout the series in general, but especially in this episode. Like literally when she goes to save his ass, she's wearing this bright white trench coat. And that's not an accident. She is a good character. She's always held up on a pedestal as being a good character. And anytime Buffy makes a bad decision, she pays for it like a lot more than she should have to pay for any bad decisions. <laughs> Although for some reason it's not seen as a bad decision going back to Angel. Ah! Sorry, that was a very loud noise. <laughs> just so mad at this episode in general, but I need to stop talking about it so I can get on with my life. Because <laughs> I'm sitting in my pajamas and it's 3.20 p.m. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's get to the ratings of this episode. We all know I'm very exasperated by it in general. Okay. So, outfit of the episode. I'm giving it to Buffy, although I don't know what the full episode was. Like, I don't know if we saw like the bottom half of her outfit. It might just be a dress. I think it's like a red velvet spaghetti strap holiday dress that she's wearing on Christmas Eve when she's hanging out with her mom. She's dressed up while she's just hanging out with her mom, but it's just, just this cute little red velvet spaghetti strap. And she's wearing, um, a necklace that is it looks like a snowflake, but it's kind of upside down. It's interesting. It's really pretty. Um, I'd actually love to have that necklace. So I guess that necklace will be my object of the episode. I originally wrote Giles's crossbow because I just want to like jump into that scene and go ahead and shoot Angel through the chest to prevent the further turmoil that he will cause us in this episode and many more. <laughs> 
the quote, as I told you before, was that, you know, 10 minutes of chanting and then you guys need to go to bed. Um, most valuable player of the episode, I'm giving it as a tie to Oz and Giles. Because despite everything that Angel has put Giles through, he he decides because of how much ain't how much Buffy cares about him, he will help. And that's just a really cool, mature thing to do. And also Oz, like both of them are making bad decisions. Like Giles is choosing to trust Angel, which is a terrible decision. Oz is choosing to trust Willow, which is probably a terrible decision. But both of them are being, being very emotionally mature. And I just love them both so much so much. Okay, let's get into the final ratings. Enjoyability of this episode. Really, honestly, the only part I enjoyed was the moment before Buffy chooses her abusive ex-boyfriend over her mom and her possible Slayer BFF. Um, and the research montage I enjoyed. But that was really, and then, and the hug between Oz, the reconciliation hug between Oz and Willow was nice as well, even though I have complicated feelings about them getting back together. Um, so yeah, two relationships get back together in this episode. Like all the relationships that ended a couple of episodes ago, two of them are back. Xander's the only one that's still single. Um, Yeah. I really don't enjoy this episode. In fact, I might want to put this one in the vault. Like there are some important moments, you know, like we need to see that moment of Buffy reaching out to Faith and Faith trying to be vulnerable, but it's just so heartbreaking. I don't think we need to see Buffy's bangs ever again. I think possibly this one's going in the vault. So let me see if I can find, I know Ted went in there, but have I put anything else? Ted and the pack have gone in the vault. Has anything else gone in the vault? Where do I have that written down? Cause I know I started a vault list. <laughs> what did I do with it? I don't know what I did with it, but it doesn't matter. I know that those are the only two episodes that I have so far in the vault. I think this is another one. I think there's going to be an overall limit of five episodes that can be in the vault. So that means they have to be very, very triggering and awful. <laughs> like Ted isn't actually a badly written episode, but I can't stand watching it. Um, this episode I think is badly written. I think it had, it had a story to tell, but I think it was told badly. And I just think it's so, it's such the wrong message. I mean, we think about, again, I haven't mentioned this yet, and I really haven't had any spoilers yet, but this is not a spoiler-free Buffy podcast. I should mention that right before I spoil something. So, you know, we think of the relation, the future relationship between Spike and Buffy as being a very abusive relationship. It is a metaphor for an extremely abusive relationship, but we hardly ever think of Buffy and Angel in terms of an abusive relationship. For some reason, we really should. And this episode really like 
hammers that into my mind. This is not an okay relationship at all. They should not get back together. Of course, they won't be back together for very long. Buffy's about to graduate. We're already halfway through the season. Um, and he's going to leave. But, yeah, I just... I really think this episode hammers at home that, like, this is not an okay thing. And it's it's just very upsetting. So I'm going to put it in the vault. It's possible I will never watch this episode ever again. There you go. I will just skip it from now on. So, so far, halfway through season three, this is only the third episode I've had to put in the vault. That's all right. There it is. <laughs> um, okay, so enjoyability of this episode. Obviously, I'm putting it in the vault. So, I really only enjoyed a good collective maybe two minutes of this episode out of 42. So that's like, you know, a very small percentage of the episode. I'm going to give it a one because I don't completely hate every single second. Um, as far as treatment of women, let's talk about that, shall we? Who, what women do we have in this episode? The way that I think I'm going to do this scoring in general is... I'm just going to do it on the spot, talking to you guys, and I'm going to list all the women and whether or not they had a negative or positive impact on the storyline and whether or not they were treated respectfully in general. Cordelia, she had a nice little moment overall positive because she's like, I'll be thinking about you. Okay, I'm done. So good Cordelia moment. Not really sexist at all. Glad it was there. Okay. The servant girl. She doesn't even get a name. It's a very rapey situation. Later, she does taunt Angel in the same way that he taunted her. And that was a fun moment. But overall, she was not really treated well. So, she is an overall negative. Because she was there as, you know, to be raped and killed, essentially. Even though they don't really show her, show him raping her. This is like a teenage show, so they're really not going to show that. But it was kind of implied by the wording of the whole thing. That was definitely a metaphor for rape. Um, which a lot of vampire story arcs are metaphors for rape, aren't they? Okay, let's see. Willow. Willow interrupts Oz. She says things like, I want to make Oz trust me again. I... I don't know. I mean, her in pretty much every interaction between Willow and Oz, it's Oz being mature and Willow being immature. So Oz is always shown as being better than Willow in a lot of ways. And even though I completely 100% love Oz, I think that's shitty. I think they really could have in general but Willow is one of the core four characters of this show, and she is underserved. Um, looking at them overall, they're all underserved except for Buffy. So, I don't know. Maybe it's kind of... I'll give a neutral response to the treatment of Willow in this episode. Who else was in this episode that is a girl? Buffy. Um, she's going back to an abusive ex. She betrays her Slayer BFF and her mom in favor of the abusive ex. She pretty much, 
you know, emotionally throws herself at his feet, even though he's awful and he doesn't deserve it at all. So I think the treatment of her character is terrible in this episode. She's not shown as, I mean, despite having that, like, be strong and fight speech, she's not really shown as having a woman of agency that drives the plot forward in this episode. And she's the fucking star of the episode. So that's a negative. Um, Jenny, I guess, is a female in this episode. Um, uh, I'll give that a neutral. She's not really playing a gendered performance in this episode. So I'll give her a neutral outcome. Are there any other women in this episode? No. How many dudes are there? So there's Oz, there's Giles, there's Xander, there's Daniel, there's that uh, generic dad guy that Angel killed, there's Angel, there's Willie the Snitch. Um, so dudes outnumber chicks in this episode. And let's see, Oz is portrayed favorably, Giles is portrayed favorably, Xander's portrayed favorably, Daniel, mm, neutral, the dad guy, neutral, he's just a random victim, but he's not really treated badly because of his gender or anything, Angel is treated a little too fucking well in this episode, Will, Willie's even treated well in this episode, he's kind of nice, he says Merry Christmas, he's sweet to Xander. So, I don't know. How are we scoring that? <laughs> I'm giving positives and neutrals and negatives to people, so there should be some point system to that, right? <laughs> okay, so let's do that then. Of the female characters, the only positive I gave was to Cordelia. Um, so that's a plus one. Minus two, one for Buffy and one for the servant girl. So we're at a negative one now, and we stay there because I gave equal to Jenny and Willow. So we're a minus one. <laughs> I don't know if I'm always going to score it like this, but this is kind of interesting. We're at a minus one for the female characters in the episode. And we're at a one, two, three, four, five, a plus five for the dudes. Isn't that interesting? An episode written and directed by Joss Whedon, who thinks of himself as a feminist. He positively portrayed almost all the male characters in this episode and did not do the same for the female characters. So, yeah treatment of women in this episode there's just a lot of rape implications uh it's not good it's just not good i'll give it a one so this episode gets a one overall i hate it and i'm kind of feeling joyful this is like the only buffy christmas episode too i think i mean there might be like a mention here and there of there being Christmas happening. Let's look, let's look ahead to next year. I already have it written down on my calendar. Next year, the episode that is the closest to Christmas is Hush. Are they talking about Christmas time in any way during Hush? Maybe a little, but not really. That's a far superior episode, I'll tell you that. Um, okay, so this episode gets one. I'm never going to watch it again. What do you guys think about this episode? Email me your thoughts at mixtressradio at gmail or send them to me on the Mixtress Buffy Instagram page. Um, oh, we should go ahead and do a little bit of 
little bit of shit here. Okay, so we're about to hit three, three full weeks of no Buffy episodes. So next Saturday, the one after that, and the one after that. We're, we won't be back with an actual Buffy episode until January 12th, when we will talk about gingerbread, which is another episode I don't like, but I don't like it for different reasons, and I don't think I'm going to hate it enough to put it in the vault, so let's just say that. Um, okay. Uh, what are we going to do? Because I don't want to leave you for three full weeks. I'll be back. How about this? I'll be back on the 29th. I'm going to write it down so I don't forget. I'm going to be back on the 29th. So two weeks from today, I will be back. If you're listening to this in real time, December 15th, 2018, I'll be back in two weeks on the 29th. And I will talk about, probably it'll just be like a personal podcast. I'll talk about, you know, the year in review. Maybe we'll talk about some of the Buffy episodes that we've talked about this year. Maybe I'll talk about what's been going on with me this year, what New Year's resolutions I have for next year, shit like that. Um, if you guys want to talk about any of that kind of stuff, like thinking back over the year 2018 and what you look forward to in 2019, shit like that, um, send me your thoughts and I will talk about them also on the podcast. So I hope you guys have a great Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Solstice, and I will see you in two weeks. Um, after that, we'll just talk about, I mean, after that, it'll just be another two weeks till we talk about a Buffy episode. So most likely that's it. I'll probably just do like a personal podcast in two weeks and that'll be it. Um, unless we decide to do something else. I don't know. Let me know if you have any thoughts, if there's like a movie you want me to talk about or something else. I'm, I'm down for whatever. Let me know. Okay. So barring that, I'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Bye.